Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Down Ballot Podcast. The show's live on Twitch. Check out twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. We're live basically seven nights a week there. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you join the now space. Also join our Discord at discord.me slash echoplex. Enjoy the show. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration.
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here at twitch.tv slash Media Podcast listeners, I know you got like a very short show last week on the podcast, but you but you weren't able to, you know, you weren't able to hear much of it, but you were able to get it free on the, uh, the Patreon. So go ahead and uh, head over to last Patreon, patreon.com slash Echoplex. You can grab last week's show for free. Joining me via what appears to be a Viewmaster. What's up, Councilman? <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, not much. Uh, let's see what is happening today. It's Tuesday. That means it's City Council Day um, and Board of Supervisors Day down here in Santa Clara County. Uh, fortunately, it was not as lit as the Shasta County Board of Supervisors was last week. Um, it was actually a pretty tame meeting by comparison. Um, so not a whole lot to report there. But uh, as far as personal stuff, we're building a new fence at the house here. It's going to be pretty exciting. So um getting started on that soon other than that just scouring the internet for all sorts of manner of things local and non-local that we can bring you here tonight um so like producer dave said head over to patreon.com backslash echoplex and give us money that's all i'm gonna say yeah yeah i would like to build an extension onto this apartment too but i don't own it <laughs> well hey, who cares man you don't need permits for that stuff anyway these days it's a complaint driven culture right now so you know just do it I say, um, but it's very good to see you. I'm looking forward to getting digging into stuff tonight. We have a lot to get to since it's been a couple of weeks since we took a, a trip down near the South Bay. Yeah, but when we but, skip a week, we just pretend the week we skipped didn't exist. Otherwise, the show would be like fucking three hours long, right? That's pretty much true. We have to, you know, um, pick and choose uh, and just go back chronologically and get the best shit for you. Um, but that said, um, usually there's at least two weeks worth of stories on Millennium Tower, so we just find the most current one and bring that to you so you can get it all in one encapsulated bit. Um, but before we get to all that leading off tonight, um, Google's coming back and their employees are coming back, but it looks like it might not be like a five day work week. Let's find out what's going on. After two years of mostly remote work, Google employees return to the office today. KPX 5's Jocelyn Moran is in the newsroom and Jocelyn, you spoke with staffing experts what are they saying about the tech giant's plan here? Well, Amanda, for many people, they've been working from home for two years. And experts say right now, it's not so much about safety, but rather preference. And it's going to be important for companies to understand that in order to keep their employees. Now, Robert Half is a staffing firm that works with companies in the Bay Area. They recently put out some research that found half of workers they surveyed in the U.S. would rather resign than return to the office full time. But they'd be more okay with the hybrid model. So we're seeing more and more companies do that. Hence, Google, for example, starting today is having some employees come into the office three days a week. Apple later this month is starting with a hybrid model as well. I think that Bay Area workers are expecting their companies to adapt with the way that they've changed. And I think if we don't do that, like I said, you know, you may end up losing your employee to another company that was innovative. Now, experts say we've also seen why people would want to stay home. They can be more productive by working during the time they'd otherwise be using for a commute. Now, Corn Ferry is a consulting firm that has been advising companies with their return to office strategies. Senior client partner Juan Pablo Gonzalez says if the reason employers want someone to return to work is to create culture, it's important for them to create settings that cause that. Not because I said so, but because there's a benefit to you and there's a benefit to me. Schedule your team meetings on your in-person days. Schedule your quiet time, your writing time, your analytics time, you know, when you're home. 
Now, Google has said that time spent in the office will be focused on in-person collaboration for projects. Again, going back to there being benefits to being back in person. But like with many things in the pandemic, we'll have to see how this all unfolds. In the newsroom, I'm Jocelyn Moran, KPIX5. Don't care. <laughs> I mean, I put the fucking link there, but I don't give a fuck. TLDR. Um, have you heard about the the sh- potential shortened work week? It's been making the rounds. The potential shortened. I'm sorry. The potential shortened what? Work week. Uh, uh, reducing the uh, official whatever work week to four days a week, legislatively, for all uh, businesses. No. Ah, it it might be coming down the pikes. But like, the they could legislate a one day work week, and people who work in customer service would still have to work six days, sometimes seven, if one of their one of their coworkers gets sick. You know what I'm saying? It's possible. I think they were talking about some sort of, you know, um, I mean, there's flexibility built in, right? It wouldn't be like your work. Everyone works Monday through Thursday, right? Um, and they'd have to hire more people, honestly. Um, but the idea being that uh, uh, studies have shown apparently that uh, productivity actually increases um, the less hours you work because you're more focused on getting work done and then you have more time to uh, expand your mind, shall we say, in other ways. Um, so that yeah, you you you, t- you treat the work hours with more reverence, right, and more um, and more focus on getting things done because you don't put things off. You don't feel like oh, I have until whatever Friday five p.m. to do that. I can, I need to do that today, um, and then I can have Friday off, right? Um, so we shall see. But uh, for now, the conversation seems to be around how do we come back um, to an office environment, and do we come back entirely? So. Folks like us, we're not, we're not, we've never really been in that environment or haven't been. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having an office again. You should see that you should see the state of my living room every time, <laughs> every time there's, every time there's anything going on with my day job, since we don't have a warehouse, you know, there's only so much room in the garage and, uh, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind having a small warehouse in an office again, but I would definitely try to set it up so I don't have to fucking go there every day. So it's more of the space, not necessarily the people that you're missing. Um, I liked working with people too. I like I like Mike, who I work with, but uh, it would just be the two of us, and so it would be a very tiny space. I've been thinking about it, but um, I don't know. I also been just thinking about like abandoning that whole project altogether. <laughs> so I don't know. Every, everything's everything's up in the air. I like getting cool shit all the time for, for next to free because of what we do, but sometimes it's not worth it. Uh. Might do more consulting. Might do more sysadmin stuff instead. We'll see, though. I'll make that decision later. But whatever I do, I would like to have an office. And I don't mean some weird WeWork space where I just drink their free beer all day and stagger out of that bitch not having gotten anything done. Because that's what happened to me in one of those places. Well, that model definitely did not work because they completely collapsed. Um, but uh, maybe if you bump out the apartment, you know, you can you can add some space for storage and make it a little more comfortable for you. So we'll work on that. We'll talk to the city. Or I don't know. You're adding a you're adding an addition to your house. <laughs> well, we had, the good news we're not doing any sort of bump any sort of structural stuff. It's just replacing the fence. So oh. um, we uh, the good news is we more than likely don't need to get any new permits for that. But um, but yeah, if you if you add on anything to your home, you do uh, typically need to get get that repermitted. Um, so watch out. Um, you but usually you're only going to get busted if your neighbor neighbor complains right <laughs> or, or suspects that you didn't get it things you know checked out. Um, 
and plus the assessor is going to come sooner or later and reassess the property and see that you did it so yeah like when you go to sell if you ever go yeah, to better, sell better to get the permits better to get the permits in advance um anyway uh shall we move on to winner and losers yeah this is just to be winners and losers the first story seems to be uh san jose police shot somebody at la victoria and apparently it wasn't over the orange sauce but I'm sure. No, not definitely not. But uh, apparently, if if you disarm a suspect and you just try to de-escalate a situation, that's when you get shot by SJPD these days. Oh, fantastic! We'll find out more. Well, his attorney says he Maybe. was a peacemaker, but that peacemaker, a 20-year-old local football star, is in the hospital tonight, recovering after police shot him several times outside a San Jose restaurant. His attorney says he was holding a gun that he'd taken from another man. Tonight, as he weighs his legal options, police are facing new questions about their actions. NBC Barry's Robert Honda has more. Well, business seems basically back to normal here at the La Victoria Taqueria after a few hectic days. To be fair, they've seen some shit. <laughs> no shit. I mean, I've seen some shit there. Uh, just about everyone has if you have lived in San Jose or downtown long enough following the officer-involved shooting. But while the investigations continue, the young man police shot says he's feeling better, but facing a long recovery. The young man is, uh, you know, very prayerful and just grateful that he survived this near-death experience. There is some mixed news to report on Keon Green, who remains in the hospital, recovering from multiple gunshot wounds. According to his attorney, he's clinging to his hopes of one day resuming his football career, which started at McClyman's High School and continued at Contra Costa College. His attitude right now is, you know, I want to be able to one day, you know, enjoy running, throwing, playing football and being able to enjoy my life you know, for a moment of time. You know, his life was hanging in the balance. The 20-year-old was shot by a San Jose police officer Sunday in the aftermath of this brawl captured by surveillance cameras at the La Victoria Taqueria on San Carlos Street. His attorney says Green was eating inside when the chaotic scene broke out and he wrestled a gun away from another man. But police say they didn't know that when they came upon Green with a gun in hand at the door of the restaurant. The chief said Green ignored commands to drop the gun, an account Green's attorney still disputes and says no one will know for sure until the full police video is released. Officers need to have a certain standard in order to even trigger a lethal use of force. And this man's back was was facing them. A police watchdog group agrees. Police do say Green will not face any charges. However, police did arrest 30-year-old Brian Carter and plan to charge him as a felon in possession of an illegal firearm. Tonight, we've learned he's been released from jail, but is scheduled to be charged in court Thursday. In San Jose, Robert Honda, NBC Bay Area News. Dude, he did just fucking straight up take the gun away from that guy. That's fucking, that's some ninja shit there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I love the, the note at the end. They, they note that Green will not be charged with a, a crime. <laughs> oh, good. So he got shot up for de-escalating and oh, good. I'm glad you recognize that you know, he doesn't need to be charged with anything. That's nice of you. So when he gets out of the hospital with bullet wounds, um, he's, he can go free. Uh, so and anyway, it, I mean, that's another one where there's, pretty conclusive video evidence of a lot of things and um it does not really look great um once again you know i'll always know that it's it's hard I'm, I'm sure in the moment to make decisions like that but at the same time that's what training is for that's what it's what you're supposed to be a professional that's what you're supposed to you know do for a living um and if i 
you know, if I don't do my job well, I certainly I expect to to answer for it. Um, even though my job is a little less life and death than uh, than this job. Um, so I would say they have a little more accountability than, or should have more accountability. So we'll so, see what what happens. So just real quick, like if you wrestle a gun away from somebody in like a chaotic situation, you have a couple choices to make, right? You're like, do mm-hmm. I try to get rid of this thing? But then if I get rid of it, will someone else pick it up? And now we're just right mm-hmm. back in the same fucking bad situation we had, you know? And if honestly, if you're like, if you're like a, t- that's a, that's a, that was kind of a big tall black dude so if the police come now you're like well fuck <laughs> the police you, just are in- you can't win in this situation like especially if you're black and you know it too there's just no way to win um yeah, i don't know what back you- and yeah i don't know i don't know what you do with the gun i don't know like you know when the police arrive are you able to hear them like there's just all kind of things mm-hmm. you just cannot possibly know but again like you were saying like the it it seems like we keep running into this over and over and over again where a person who does not have training is expected to completely have their wits about them and do remain calm and do exactly what the fuck they're supposed to do. But then the police maybe aren't always held to the same standard right there where the police, like, they should be the cooler heads that prevail, not the public, right? That would be the expectation, right? I mean, that's sort of what I think the, if there's such a thing as an average resident right and that's what they understand to be the contract right the unspoken contract with the police the covenant if you will right that uh, they are there to de-escalate the situation they are to get there to get the situation under control to get everyone's shit together and to keep their own shit together more so than anyone around right they should have their shit together more than anyone in the scene and be able to control um, a scene right and if that re- means they need to get different styles of training they need to get more um professional training in you know uh uh the psychiatric arts right and and negotiation and mental health uh 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 you know uh issues if they need to have that more of that kind of training and that kind of background then so be it right and we really need to think rethink what a police officer is but i think you're right that's what most people i think perceive to be why they're there right at base but we all know that that's not necessarily the case and it um uh and we need to do better as a society i think on both sides yeah i don't know like i said you don't want to you know the guy fucking d the guy took a gun away from somebody who was pointing it at someone else like while Mm -hmm. the dude was like that is some hero shit don't care like i don't care if he didn't if afterwards like he didn't fire the gun at anybody you know what i'm saying it didn't appear that he was pointing the gun at nobody and the fucking all indications of the police shot him in the back that's the most important element to it is that, you know, regardless the police, I mean, they didn't see at, at the time, right in the moment, they didn't see what happened inside. They don't know that he wrestled the gun away, right? Necessarily. They just know that this guy's coming out the door with a gun in his hand, right? But he's backing out the door, <laughs> you know, it's like, and you are a legion. You have, there's, there's at least 10 cops out there waiting for this guy to come down the steps with their guns drawn. Um, so the notion that he could get a round off, uh, of any, you know, of any sort that could injure any of them before they just drop him, uh, at a moment's notice is ridiculous. Frankly, to me, I'm also, I, I'm not a law enforcement professional, you know, I don't know, but the standard, uh, to Mr. Jayadev's point in the video, this, the standard, I think really, we really need, a, uh, we need a, some sort of standard to begin with. Right. I don't know that there is one. Um, frankly, um, well, there, there, uh, there is this, there is this standard. It's kind of unspoken. We did an episode of the intellectual dollar tree about this guy. I forget his fucking name now, but he talks about like the sheepdog mentality or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
where like you know you're the, the the it's the thin blue line shit it's where you think you're out there fucking all the time protecting everybody from the scary dangerous people and it's like well i don't know i thought even the people that you might think are scary dangerous those might be the ones who need your protection and if you don't fucking try to assess the situation you're just gonna blat somebody in the back <laughs> it's yeah. like dude yeah it's it's just a wrong mentality right it's a wrong-headed mentality it's like white or black not to put too fine a point on it right black or white one or the other right good guys bad guys good versus evil the world is not like that the world is a shit ton of gray area right there there's just there's a lot of in between in the world and one man's criminal is another man's savior so um so I could just it's, imagine a situation here and I don't know this to be the case but if this person was still inside and people were yelling the people inside yelling are going to be what you hear because you you're the way your fucking physiology works is when you're looking somewhere that's what you hear it's partially mm -hmm. where your ears are and the, like the physics of your ears but it's also how your brain interprets the fucking things that come into your fucking ears. So you're not going to hear the cops behind you yelling if you're like backing out the place. So right. yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know, not blatting him, not blatting him while he, while his back was to you would probably be good. Yeah. Not, not to analyze the situation too much, right. In terms of investigation, investigations, but you know, he also, the threat to him more than likely was still in front of him, like in right. the restaurant, right. The big guy he had disarmed. I'm guessing that guy was not very excited about being disarmed, right. <laughs> by, by, by this young football player. Right. So, um, who's just like, what are you doing here? Waiting for your burrito and you take my gun. Right. So, um, the threat to him is probably still in front of him. He doesn't necessarily know that there's a freaking gang of cops outside waiting for him. Right. Um, uh, or waiting for something, right? They're keyed up, they're ready to go, right? That's probably more the, the bigger problem is that that mentality of like, we are, you know, yes, bad guys exist and we're here to stop the bad guys, right? And they're looking for bad guys almost, not looking to, to control the situation. They're looking for bad guys to stop, right? That's right. that's the first instinct. So, um, but he doesn't know that. So I, I, I sympathize and I, I don't want to dig too far into this. That right. We're going to have more as the investigation comes out, but, but I mean, it's just another, another example of um, the need for a, a rethink. Well, again, if the news, if the news report is to be trusted, if the guy was walking out the fucking door backwards, your, the, the, your, your assessment is most likely correct that the, he thought the threat was in front of him. The person who he, by the way, if that, if, if what I saw in that video is what I think I, he, he, I saw, he just fucking just straight up took the gun from the guy. It was pretty. It's pretty impressive, and I would not have the. I would not do that. Even stay in the room, I would be I would, gone. If yeah, I saw I'd be gun, out the I'd door. Be gone. <laughs> I would be down the street. Forget about it. So, kudos to you, man, for for doing what you can to uh, to you know keep 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 us safe. Um, you're probably doing a little better job than most. And it's anyway. not. And not not for nothing. Maybe there's just too many fucking guns anyway in this country. I know San Jose and like be. some of the cities are doing a better job, but maybe there's just too many of the fucking things floating around anyway. I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> um, so, so this next story I put on the uh, docket because like after you scam somebody, it's probably bad operational security to uh, then go ahead and taunt them, exposing who you are in some kind of way. So I think that's just bad, uh, bad operational security. If you're a fraud, rude. I think after you defraud somebody, you, you do your best to like never contact them again so that there's no trail back to you. I, I don't do crimes, but that sounds pretty reasonable. Someone on your side has been reporting about a scam spreading across the country. Imposters posing as bank employees, tricking victims into sending them money through Zelle, the popular quick pay app. 
Now the scammers seem bolder than ever. You ready for this? Laughing at their victims after stealing their money. It happened to a Wells Fargo bank customer from San Jose. She turned to seven on your side's Michael Finney, as so many people do, to get some help. Michael? Great guys, huh? Yeah. All Steal right. your money and laugh at you? Schmucks. L yeah, I know. woman <laughs> knew seconds after that sending the button after she hit the send button she realized, that's only legal if you're like a like a stockbroker bank imposter who was still on the phone and he began taunting her she called the real bank and says the bank simply gave her the brush off now she's not sure which one has made her more furious oh my oh my oh i love her is seared in lisa landry's head she watched thirty five hundred dollars disappear from her bank account and the scammer who took it was still on the phone. And the guy knew that I knew, and he clowned me. He he taunted me. So I went, oh my God, you think this is funny. Now this is hilarious to you. It happened during a busy night when Lisa was working here at the Cal Expo Winter Festival, manning a booth. I was selling novelties, you know, stuffed animals. As it happened, she had no credit card terminal, so Lisa was using her personal Zelle account to collect money. And that's when it happened. I get this call. It says Wells Fargo. The caller said he was from the bank and someone was taking money from her account. I thought, oh my God, one of these customers must have somehow accessed my account. Lisa was trying to figure out whom to trust, the customers around her or the guy on the phone. But the caller ID matched the Wells Fargo number. So I continued to talk to this person. The man on the phone said she'd better act fast or lose her money. Oh my God, whatever we have to do, we have to hurry. So I'm in panic mode. The man told her she could reverse the fraudulent transaction by sending the money back to herself through Zelle. Here I am frantically trying to stop my money from being suspiciously taken from my Zelle account. The man told her to delete her phone number from Zelle and put her <laughs> own name as a recipient. There's customers, so many people. Just real quick, and I'm, I'm sure the news is going to tell you this too. Just real quick for anybody out there, anybody listening in podcast land, if someone claiming to be your bank calls you, you say, what's your name? What branch are you at? I'll give you a call back. Yeah. We have, I, I'm having, we have a bad connection. What's your name and what branch are you at? I need to give you a call back. Yeah. They are never good. This is never going to happen for $2,000, Alex. Right. And then they're just going to hang up on you because they know you're yeah. wise to that shit. I hope the news yeah. tells people that because it's, it's, it's not complicated. Your bank, yeah. if they ever call you, it doesn't matter what they're calling you about. It doesn't matter if it's Comcast, your fucking AT&T, PG&E, the fucking IRS, the FBI. It doesn't matter who the fuck they say they are. If it's somebody that thinks that if it's some kind of official or somebody who has some kind of power over you, either legally, financially, you just say, what's your name and uh, what branch are you at? I'd, I'll give you a call back. Don't even ask for the number and then look that shit up yourself. Or just don't call them back because these places generally don't call you telling you your house is on fire and shit. They don't do that. Not really, no. But uh, they are. Yeah, they. I mean, they do do it. But um, it's got. It's almost one hundred percent of the time, scammer. I can't focus. She ducked into a restroom and sent three thousand dollars through Zelle. Then another four hundred ninety nine dollars. She received text messages saying she had just sent the money to Lisa Landry. That's her. And yet, when she checked her account, the money was gone. And I guess my name really isn't my name. Somehow, I'm authorizing money to go into my cell to my name, but it doesn't actually go to my name. It, it, 
Unbeknownst to Lisa, the imposters had used her name and her mind. phone number to create their own Zelle account to receive her money. And that caller ID, that was fake too. A spoof. And then that's when I ran out of the bathroom and I said it out loud to people who were standing. I just got taken for $3,500 from some Zelle scam. She called Wells Fargo. Oh, you were in the bathroom? But the bank only said file a claim. Then weeks later, denied it saying she authorized the transaction and Zelle had no fraud protection. So, no refund. Even though I may have... You don't use Zelle. You know it's fraudulent. You have full knowledge... Zelle's bullshit. Use PayPal. ...that this Zelle scam is existing. So, you're going to give me my money back. That's what you're going to do. But it didn't. Wells Fargo tells Seven on your side, we never want to see anyone become the victim of a scam, and we are actively working to raise awareness to help prevent these heartbreaking incidents. Afterwards, you're left with looking at your account going, I just worked for two months for nothing. Wells Fargo has refunded some victims of the Zelle scam, but not others, and would not tell us why, citing customer privacy rules, even though we did not ask for anyone's private information. We just wanted to know the ground rules. Now, I want to hear from you. Send me your stories about buying a home, a car, paying off a loan. Yeah, uh don't believe the scams and definitely do what producer Dave said. They Ask didn't say that. They didn't even give you any fucking usable. You, nope. Seven on your side gave you no useful nope. information. They just wanted to I say, oh, look at this you. poor lady. Yeah. And, and then if you're another poor lady, please send us your story so we can feature you on another sad sack, you know, episode later on the, uh, in the week. Yeah. Uh, very, very helpful. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. Um, and by the way, in addition to not using Zelle and, um, remembering to thank Peter Thiel for creating PayPal, um, uh, you should also <laughs> you should also remember not to use Wells Fargo if you can avoid it. It's uh, they are of, of all the shitty big banks, they are the shittiest in my humble opinion. So, but um, more steer, steer clear Fargo. More importantly, if your bank ever calls you, just ask the fucking name of the person and what what like what location they're at, and then find the and then if they give it to you, maybe they're legit, and then they'll be fine with oh my name's you know Bob Smith or whatever. I'm at this branch, you know, you can get me at this extension and you go, okay. Yeah. And you call, don't do the extension even Just be like, Hey, is Bob Smith there? I received a call from him. Boom. Oh, no, no, Bob. Well, there you go. Yes. But, but of course, I, I, seven on your side, couldn't even just tell people that. No, well, he couldn't be bothered to have a matching jacket and pants. So I don't, I don't know that, you know, <laughs> I don't know that they really think of themselves as professionals in that regard, but, um, scum. That's all I can say. Uh, well, m moving up the peninsula to San Francisco, where we just seem to spend a lot of time in winners and losers these days, um, uh, we've got some uh, in interesting um, uh, developments in the world of fentanyl and um, unfortunate uh, overdoses. So uh, some folks, some moms, apparently, quote unquote, are, uh, they've, got, they've had enough of the, the fentanyl deaths and they wanted to let people know that the city's got to do something about it. A group of mothers are unveiling a new billboard warning tourists to stay away from San Francisco. They say a drug crisis in the city is endangering both locals and visitors. KPI X5's Dalin spoke with a mother whose daughter is struggling with addiction. Mothers of addicts are putting a spotlight on the drug crisis plaguing San Francisco. They're buying ads to remind people among the iconic landmarks, San Francisco is also known for its open-air drug market. My daughter didn't go to San Francisco for the Embarcadero. She didn't go to San Francisco for Union Square or to see the Golden Gate Bridge. 
She went to San Francisco to buy her drugs. East Bay mom, Gina McDonald, fears the late night calls, especially from the hospital or the police. Every single night it is the wondering, the worrying. Her 24-year-old daughter, Sam, is an addict, and her addiction has consumed the family. My other kid misses his sister. Um, her father has been pushed to the brink. Her father had to go pay off a drug dealer at one point for her safety. Gina is with Mothers Against Drug Deaths. Some in the group lost children to overdose. On Monday, the group will unveil a large billboard in Union Square. With the Golden Gate Bridge in the backdrop, the message, famous the world over for our brains, beauty, and now dirt chief fentanyl. They say they want to raise awareness and warn visitors to stay away from San Francisco until politicians get tough on the problem. They're fed up by the lack of action. Number one, you have to get rid of the open-air drug market. Number two, as an addict, either offered jail or treatment. The organization is also buying ads on social media to push their message. Public health officials say these are the overdose deaths since 2017 in San Francisco. More than 1,300 deaths in the last Hey, it went down last year. Doctors say many of them attributed to fentanyl. We didn't know uh, about this topic. I don't go in those areas, in the tenderloin area, so usually it's out of sight. Gina hopes to bring the issue to the forefront. We're desperate. We are desperate as moms, all of us. We need help. Gina says her daughter has been in and out of treatment. Right now, she's working to stay clean. I'm Don Lin, KPIX 5. The San Francisco Travel Association responded to the billboard writing, this campaign doesn't punish the city, this campaign only hurts the small businesses that are struggling to recover from the damage caused by the pandemic. Yeah, actually, I tend to share the San Francisco. I'm, not often I'm going to like agree with a lobby group, but that lady don't even live in no San Francisco. Right. That was just mom. Like, I, I heard about mothers, I heard about, you know, people who are up to, I, I just saw mom, and uh, I feel kind of bad for her uh, daughter, frankly. I don't know if she, you know, approved mom going on TV and in the news and talking about her and showing her picture um, and talking about how she's going through some shit. Um, I'm sure she would prefer to go through that shit in private herself. Um, so you're kind of like, in a way, um, you know, re victimizing your own daughter by doing this um, and you're purporting to be doing something about the, this, you know, about the problem. What's the, uh, my whole thing is like, what's the end game from this? You know, oh. like, okay, you're shame. Are you going to shame the board of supervisors into quote unquote, ending the open air drug market? You live in a city, you live in San Francisco. We've talked about this, right? Like it's a city. You're going to have drugs in the street. I'm sorry. Right. It's, I think I know what it is, but it's my cynicism. I think it's a grift. I think they're raising money. Oh, I don't think that's cynical at all. I think that's the one uh, one person's cynicism is another person's reality. I mean, that's just or, or another person's just obvious reality. Yeah, no, I, there's a grip here somewhere. They're always looking for something, right? Whether they're raising money or they're trying to, you know, accrue power, even if it's power, like in a PTA kind of a sense, right? Like even the president of the PTA thinks that they're top shit. Um, so no matter what, you know, what circle you're in, what your drug of choice is, right. Um, their drug of choice is not fentanyl and maybe it's attention. Maybe it's, you know, some other kind of, uh, power. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder what their end game is. Are we going to you know recall all the poor supervisors over this? Um, you know, I thought, and I thought, by the way, I thought Mary Breed, you know, was doing something about this. She had, um, she, she's proposed a 
sweeping emergency ordinance for the tenderloin. Um, so apparently it hasn't really helped. Maybe. This is the other thing is like, this is, this is just fabulously stupid. The way the, oh, the drugs are only in the tenderloin. It's like, shut up, Becky. I gotten, right. I've bought most of my drugs in the Castro when I've bought like <laughs> drugs other than weed, like shut up. It's like, I'm just buying them from fucking rich people in a flat that they're paying $4,000 for, but it's still, it's still a drug dealer. You <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I just don't go there. You know, that's, that's how I roll. Um, okay. Well, spend your tourist dollars, please. And we'll, we'll use them to hopefully help people stay off drugs. Um, but yeah, this is just, to me, it's just other, it's, it's, this is city life. I just don't understand why, are we just suddenly more sensitive to it? Are there more like, is it more of an influx of these, maybe here particularly more of the tech bro and bra <laughs> or tech gal mentality where you know suddenly we're making too much and paying too much to live in a city with you know people doing drugs in the street like that's cities i mean everywhere worldwide that's cities so i don't know, understand what folks are expecting from living in a city a friend of mine has been saying for a while that these tech companies they bring in talent from all across the country that don't necessarily understand the culture of the Bay area. And some of the people get right. here and they have a culture shock. And then instead of just telling them that that's kind of tough shit and you chose to move to the Bay area, we coddle them because they have money. And no, absolutely. And you know, uh, he has said in the past that, you know, these people basically destroyed nightlife in San Jose, probably by complaining yeah. about noise and shit after they moved to like a dist, you know, downtown San Jose, and, you know, he's like, they're not going to stop unless we stop them. And it, it's not, it, it's not just that there's like, there's nimbyism, which is weird. That was like nimbyism from across the bay, which was a little bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. Well, they don't want it spread. She just wants it spreading to the East Bay. Right. And there are at least two mayoral, major mayoral candidates in San Jose right now who are leveraging that and using that, this mentality to try to win votes. Right. And really, and trying to in, uh, inflame exactly what you're talking about this kind of um we'll call it what it is like you know white fear white fragility fear of uh uh of you know whatever urbanization um so and and uh, and the kind of the, the separation of classes it's it's class warfare too so but we're and it's unfortunate it's getting into our leaking into our politics here at the local level and it's it's already corrupting our mayoral race which is sad well our I next story is about some rich people maybe getting a little <laughs> little of theirs it's about the fucking millennium tower if you can imagine that and it's has it been has it been a couple weeks it's been a few weeks since we talked about the millennium tower possibly three it's well, it, hasn't fall, it hasn't fallen over on anybody else's house yet so that's good that's that's actually very nice um because there's a lot of shit down there it could fall on so let's find out what happened as you can hear behind me work has entered a new phase at the sinking and tilting millennium tower Having installed 18 piles into the ground, crews are using this giant jackhammer to dig around Millennium's foundation along Fremont Street, making room for tons more concrete, which will extend the foundation over those steel piles and finally anchor the building to bedrock. Sure. Monitoring data shows the tower is now leaning 27 inches to the northwest at the top. That's 10 more inches since work on the so-called fix started last year. Millennium engineers say they expect the high-rise to tilt a little more by the time the work is done. 
But some experts fear this new round of digging could make the building sink far more than anticipated. I think it's uh, very risky. Local geotechnical engineer Bob Pike wrote city building inspection officials early in March about the Millennium Fix engineers' plan to dig alongside the building's 10-foot-thick mat foundation. I am now warning that there are many uncertainties associated with the excavation that is necessary to construct the mat extensions. His fear is that removing dirt that's currently buttressing the existing foundation could result in two inches of new settlement. That's how much more the building has sunk since the so-called fix began. And remember, each inch it sank added an extra five inches of lean. Could be anything from zero to six inches. I don't know, but that's the problem. No one knows. City officials told us they'll halt the digging if settlement exceeds established limits. But stress, the city has yet to sign off on Millennium Engineers' plan to use just 18 piles instead of the originally planned 52. Management this week told Tower residents to expect some drilling sounds and vibrations until September. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. I'm just fucking, so, fucking come on, man, tear so, it down. But, but people are, I, I, so, so people are still living there. This is, that's interesting to me. That's very interesting, frankly, um, that folks are still there. I guess it's just like, I mean, if you throw down that much money, there's not really much you can do, right? Um, so your apartment's leaning and you can roll the marble from one end to the other, but, um, and the building could maybe collapse at any time, but stick it out. You never know. Like tear the building tear down. Or tear it down. Tear, tear it down. down. One piece of time, tear it down. Call it a jobs um, program. I don't know yeah. what you have to do. Right. I do I do absolutely though love the citizen engineer, right? Who writes the the two hundred page report to the city council or to the to board of supervisors explaining what's going wrong and how how they should fix it. Um, I, when I was a, uh, a planning aficionado, shall we say, um, reading planning commission, uh, agenda packets that would, you'd see those a lot, <laughs> a lot of those letters like dear, dearest council. And they're on, you know, very nice letterhead and from a very austere sounding individual, but usually just like 200 pages of like, I have thought way too much about these things. And, um, you know, I, I'd probably be working in this field if I wasn't so Looney Tunes. Um, I, it just. I don't know. It's just, it's just nothing. They, everything they do just makes it worse, man. Just fucking start taking, yeah. take it. There's just take it apart piece by fucking piece. Just start at the top. I don't know, man. You're going to have to fucking just, you're going to have to do some destruction, but there's also like valuable materials you can recover. Fucking, I don't know. Just fucking, just call it a jobs program. Just, I don't know. Get the fucking, I don't know, man. Well, maybe this is why people are moving out of San Francisco. Maybe that's our next segue. They always keep saying this, but rent keeps going up in the city. So whatever supply and demand is wrong or these people are wrong. Can't tell which let's go. Well, let's, let's see about the droves that are moving away. 625 will pack up the moving boxes as people continue to struggle to make it in the Bay. There are a record number of people looking to leave the San Francisco Bay area as a whole, even as our state is transitioning out of the pandemic. Redfin just completed a study and San Francisco is number one in the country for people considering moving away. I spoke with Redfin chief economist Daryl Fairweather to find out why. 
people are looking for places that are more affordable, especially with inflation getting higher and housing costs getting higher. It's just not affordable for a lot of people to stay in the Bay Area. So we saw a lot of people leave the area when they had that opportunity to work from home. I mean, I know a lot of people from San Francisco, they moved up to Tahoe, for example. So now that people are returning to the office, we're still seeing this uptick? Yes, during the pandemic, people were moving because of a lifestyle change. Maybe they wanted to live somewhere that had more natural beauty or they wanted to be closer to family. But now people are moving because they've simply been priced out. Home prices are up 15% nationwide from last year. Rents are up 14%. And it's especially expensive in a place like the Bay Area that has always been more expensive than the rest of the country. So that's motivating a lot of people to move somewhere else where they'll just have more disposable income. So where are people looking to move? It is Sacramento is the number one in-state location. And then Seattle is the number one. Seattle's just as expensive as here. Bay Area. Oh, that's interesting because I would thought you'd say for sure Arizona, Texas. We saw a lot of people moving there. Idaho. Well, it's in, yeah. If, if, if you look at Austin, for example, most of the people moving in from out of state are coming from the Bay Area. But the Bay Area is sending people all over the country, so everybody is kind of complaining about Californians moving in. So, first thing, her name is Fairweather. I just find that really interesting for someone who's doing uh, this kind of forecasting. Um, and then two, it, it, the study is, uh, important note, considering moving, right? Like there's right. a lot, it, there's a big freaking difference between considering moving or it's popped into mind and actually doing it. I mean, it's popped into my mind, but I'm, you know, I, I'm not a going better to be, question, but mind. a better question is, are you actively looking at rental or purchase properties somewhere mm-hmm. else right now? Right. That's the question to ask. Correct. Correct. So we'll, we'll have to contact Daryl and see if she's got, uh, she can do a follow-up survey for Redfin. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, if you can't get out of San Francisco, you might be in deep shit because they have, they're desperately trying to get their shit together. Um, this, this, as this, is, this is episode four of San Francisco. It's called Beautiful People Wasted. I've been to that party, actually. I think that they can, I think they might move a little bit more into the story in this episode, but we'll see. It seems like the first three episodes have been kind of the same episode and now there's six total. So I'm hoping that they get, they get to a point sooner or later. We might have to stop, you know, hyping them. I bet it's the same guy. I bet it's just the same episode we watched three times already. It's definitely the same guy, but it's, I I found that they're, they're following this one dude's story, but from like multiple angles. If jazz is the intersection of chaos and beauty, then San Francisco just may share the same address. Sweetie White Bay, baby. There is no other. That's at least how Ricky Wilson sees it. He's a jazz singer who spent his entire career performing at clubs across the city. We met him a few years ago on his walk to work. You step over sh- you step over piss, you step over garbage, and the main thing you step over are people, and that's the loss. Over the years, we have done dozens of stories about the hopelessness, filth, and drug use on the streets of San Francisco. Before the pandemic, we walked more than 150 blocks of downtown. 
and we found the amount of I remember this poop patrol. You remember we covered that? Oh, Chip was scratching poop, poop, poop patrol. Two-year-olds strolling alongside used syringes. There were desperate people using streets as toilets and addicts struggling to get I've been out here for so long that... Like, it would take literally like a crumb to make me feel like, you know, I was worth something again, you know? Our stories gain national, even international headlines. As we continued to expose... But to be fair, that was the same news company you're... And Idiot. held public officials accountable. Like when San Francisco paid a public relations firm hundreds of thousands of dollars to tout the city's supposed cleanliness. People are stepping over needles and human waste and a PR company you paid says San Francisco is spick and span. There are many parts of our city that don't have some of the things that you are talking about. That was Public Works Director Mohamed Nuru. At the time, he'd been at City Hall for two decades. How much longer are you going to go for? I don't know. I mean, until you get me fired. Irony. <laughs> 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 to abusing his position at City Hall. Right, but he got fired over something other than the poop. The bottom line. Correct. Dysfunction, pain, and poverty. You didn't know that. You would think right. that this guy got fired over the poop, right? If you were to watch this and you didn't know. Probably. I mean, they're not going to delve too much. They added like one line there about it. They're not going to delve too deeply into it, no. You're right. But not new. You've been mayor now more than three years, and these problems are still here. Some have argued they've even gotten worse. So why should anyone expect anything different anytime soon? Well, I think you're, you're minimizing the issue here. I mean, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. Yes, things have gotten worse. And now as we're living with COVID, you know, we're really taking a hard stance on trying to turn these problems around. You know, turn these problems around, the poop problem would be give some, give them a place to poop. Yeah, I, I don't, I do, I really don't. I'm getting a little tired of politicians blaming shit that's systemic on COVID, right? That was systemic before COVID on COVID. That really pisses me off these days. Um, I'm getting kind of tired of it. Uh, yes, it's a shitty situation for everyone. It has made things a lot worse for everyone, but it's not as though these problems didn't exist beforehand. Um, we just weren't doing shit to address them, no pun intended. In the Tenderloin neighborhood, one of the city's hardest hit areas for drug use and crime, Mayor Bree declared a 90-day state of emergency late last year. We are in a crisis, and we need to respond accordingly. Her order fast-tracked the approval of a drug treatment referral center in the area and sped up the hiring of 200 public health care workers including psychologists and counselors. Since the start of the pandemic, drug overdoses have killed about 1,400 people in San Francisco. That's nearly double the number of people who've died of COVID in the city. So I want to know, are they killing people out on the street that they're putting on display here? Or are they killing people who were already recreational drug users who are now working from home and are just recreationally using more drugs? It's uh, well, they I don't think they're going to disaggregate that information for you there, producer Dave. <laughs> they, but I, I would assume that this includes some of that population that's that's overdosing at home on what they thought were, you know, legitimate and cool drugs and just um, either did too much or too many different things um, or mixed too many things. Yeah. Or were just stupid. I just they never talk about they never talk about how many drugs you could find in somebody's 
random ass briefcases walking down the street in the financial district. Sure, sure. There are people shooting up on the street, living on the street, dying on the street. How does the tech capital of the world, a city with a $12 billion budget, look this way? Dealing with each of the people that are struggling requires a lot of work. And let's be honest, we don't have the control under state law to make a decision to force someone into treatment. The inability to make decisions or people who are schizophrenic or people who develop psychosis because of their drug use is what the bigger problem is. When someone is a danger to themselves or other people, the sad reality is we have to wait until that line is crossed in many cases in order to commit them to treatment. So how did we get here? For more than a century, people who suffered mental illness in the U.S. were often locked away in so-called insane asylums, which were run sort of like prisons. Eventually, outrage spread over the horrible conditions, and the facilities were shut down in the late 1960s. The plan was to replace those old institutions with smaller live-in treatment centers throughout the community, where people could get mental health services without having to go to a hospital. But not enough of those were ever built. So many mentally ill people wound up in jail or on the street. Here in San Francisco, there are at least 8,000 homeless people, according to the city's latest count. But some experts believe it's likely closer to 15,000. And while not every homeless person suffers from mental health issues, a recent San Francisco survey shows about 40% do struggle with psychiatric or emotional conditions. In a single year, that's meant more than 6,000 homeless people in the city were identified as having serious mental health disorders, which is nearly three times the number of mental health treatment beds available. The city only has just over 2,200 beds for people like James Durgan. Have we reached a crisis level here in San Francisco? Without a doubt. Hillary Ronan is a lawmaker on the city's board of supervisors. We've been in a crisis around mental illness and, and drug addiction for many, many, many years now. It's what prompted me to write. Uh, an Not for nothing. She has her own name on her um, necklace, which I don't. Yes. Know. Yes. Uh, I, I was waiting for you to point it out. Our mental health and addiction based healthcare system. That new program is called Mental Health SF. And while the pandemic delayed major components of the plan, San Francisco was still able to launch parts of it, including its street crisis response team, which dispatches paramedics and mental health professionals to 911 calls dealing with homelessness and mental health issues. In its first nine months, they've responded to over 7,000 emergencies. On this afternoon, a man overdosed and stopped breathing. He was close to death, but paramedics managed to bring him back to life. By next year, Mental Health SF hopes to open a one-stop service center for people to get medication, rehab, and mental health services, as well as short-term and long-term beds for anyone in need. That day when you overdosed and realized you're either going to die or you've got to get yourself help, we want that bed for you that day. And that's not the case right now. In San Francisco, those suffering from mental health issues and drug abuse often have to wait up to six months before being placed into a rehab program or getting assigned their own social worker. And many are forced to wait on the streets or in jail, like James Durgan. Mental Health SF aims to change that. Anyone in San Francisco who is severely mentally ill 
or severely addicted to drugs will have a case manager. And that case manager is gonna have a manageable workload, so they're gonna be able to follow that individual through their treatment plan, and if they fall off, go find them in the street and encourage them to get back into services. Does that kind of job exist today in the city? No. There is strong evidence showing that type of care just may be what's needed to transform the streets of San Francisco. The good news is we know how to house folks. Dr. Margot Cashel is one of the nation's leading experts on homelessness. As part of her research, she identified some of the hardest to serve homeless in nearby Santa Clara County, those who frequently spend time in jails and emergency rooms. About 200 homeless people were given subsidized housing and were also assigned a social worker, case manager, and peer, someone who was formerly homeless, to help them navigate life. It was resoundingly successful. These were the most challenging folks, and they spent 90% of their nights um, housed for seven years after that. If, if we could do that for that population, the numbers would be so much better for, for everybody else, because we really intentionally gave ourselves the hardest challenge of let's try to house the people who nobody believes can be housed, and they could. So if we know this works, why isn't this being done everywhere? We have not been able to bring it to scale um, because of cost, because we don't have the housing. California is the second worst state in the nation for housing affordability. We are short a million units of housing that are affordable to low-wage workers, to people on fixed incomes, to people who receive disability benefits. A place they can afford just doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. The city is spending more than $600 million this year to solve homelessness. But about 60% of that goes towards subsidizing permanent housing for people who used to be homeless. That looks like it's money we're spending on homelessness, but it's sort of money that we're spending on people who were homeless a decade ago. That's year-round rent payments for more than 8,000 people. But Cashel says it's the federal government that should be paying. Low-income families can be eligible for federal assistance, like public housing or rent vouchers. But only about 25% of families who qualify actually get that help. Because historically, the federal government hasn't set aside enough money for those programs. So San Francisco winds up paying. If the number of people in San Francisco who need that kind of permanent supportive housing is only continuing to grow, is it really feasible for San Francisco to keep paying that bill every year? San Francisco alone can't keep footing the bill. We can't solve this problem when we have 24 units of housing that are affordable and available for every 100 households. The math doesn't work out. And that's in large part why San Francisco can't seem to solve its homelessness problem. Every time one person exits homelessness in the city, it's estimated three more people become newly homeless. And so at the current rate, the city's budget, your tax dollars, while a lot, will just never be enough. Why? Why is it like this? It's not supposed to be. And there's beautiful people that are being wasted, lost, left behind. I say put him in charge of it. He seems to actually give a fuck. And he can be. I'm going to run his campaign for supervisor. Saving San Francisco. 
next time. It's scary. Uh, no spoilers. It's alarming. <laughs> Shit's going to get real in a minute here. So um, I've said this over and over and over again. People have the car going the wrong way a lot of times as far as when they talk about mental health and drug addiction and homelessness. People think that fucking that you uh, are, start suffering with mental illness. Then you start using drugs. Then you become homeless. And I would suggest to people that the car often goes the other direction. Yeah, it's the reverse. And more more often than not. Right. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's not gonna be a hundred percent one way or the other, but until we start understanding, until we start realizing that the homelessness causes people anxiety and distress and that that's a natural human response to not having a stable place to go to sleep and take a shower. Until we start looking at it that way, it's going to be a disaster. And the, 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 the solution will almost always be tilting in favor of punishment versus real help and real systemic change in our society. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, and I think that, uh, unfortunately, until we can start to look at it that way, we're ignoring the factor that, I mean, uh, all of us are one step away from that, frankly. Like, are any of us really mentally well, right? Completely. I think all of us have um, tendencies and 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 proclivities, and to be thrown up, to be pushed out of the street, and to have to live in that kind of environment is. Um, it could be very well be the trigger, right? Uh, it's it would not be that hard for me to see myself, frankly, uh, uh, going a bit off the deep end, um, even after one night on the street. So. Um, yeah, I think I think we need to rethink this, rethink the approach, rethink our mentality about it, and the ones who get that, I think, are going to be the ones who end up um, succeeding uh, in terms of becoming leaders in the future. Because I think we're, I think more of us are trying to see it that way and starting to see it that way. So, I have hope. Yeah, I have hope. Yeah, I um, I just, you know, I just. I think the the help goes the wrong way too. They're like, oh, get them off drugs, and then they can get a house. It's like, no, you idiot. Yeah, Shut get them a house. Up. Get them a house, and then you can get them off drugs. Hopefully, even if it, as just any kind of fucking place, like a dorm, some place where you can close a goddamn door and have some rel, some like some amount of privacy and a fucking bed to sleep on that isn't a prison that you can leave during the day. It's gonna just it would just do wonders for even people like the fucking. Like that one lady was saying, like we went after the people that others had given up on and we had this great success. And that was probably a housing first initiative. It has to yeah. have been one. Yeah. They, there was a lot of good information. There are a lot of good advocates saying uh, the right things. Um, I just, unfortunately, I, I find it disgusting that big ad big t- like, takes over the the narrative kind of on uh, in his in his bits and it becomes more about him like he thinks he's fucking walter cronkite like the shot of him walking down the street you know the pan shot it's just so overly dramatized and the cutbacks to him during the interviews all the time like hmm yes hmm yes hmm. oh but what about this well what about that right um and okay fine you ask the tough questions and you're you're skeptical and that's what a reporter does but there's you're not the story like just keep the camera on the subject or cut away to something else. I don't, I don't need to see your face really at all. I, you have a nice voice. So the voice is fine. You need a narrative, but I don't need to see you re- reacting to what someone's saying. I want to see what they're saying and see them saying it. I don't care how you're reacting. I care how I'm reacting. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a thing. And we see it. Um, We see it on Wednesday a lot with some of these 
uh, public intellectuals we cover. And this guy's doing a little bit of that shit where he's, he wants to make sure that you know that he's being thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And like if, if he wasn't bringing these things up, you wouldn't be thinking about these things. Right. There's this guy, David Fuller, that we make fun, fun of. He does a thing called Rebel Wisdom. And his, yeah, his, his format is basically his guest says outrageous things. And he sits there and looks up to the left like he's thoughtful and then doesn't ask a difficult question or maybe just agrees with them. And then their guest keeps saying crazy things. And that's not what's going on here. But the sort of interview style almost, the, the way in which the interviewer is putting on a display of how thoughtful they are. It's fucking it's spreading like wildfire. And it, it really centers, like you were saying, it centers the person conducting the interview instead of centering the person they're talking to and the issues they're discussing. Right. And it almost trivializes what they're saying or, or makes you, it starts to make you skeptical of it. If you're not, if, if you're unassuming, don't know any better. Right. And you're just watching this, you know, unbiased, seeing the reporter get kind of like skeptical of what someone's saying, which is actually rational and totally realistic. Right. <laughs> and on point, um, you start to second guess it too. Right. So it kind of minimizes what they're saying in addition to, you know, distra- distracting from it. So. All right, but so we're kind, of the- we're kind of up against it here, but I do want we to do are. I want to do this uh, AIDS memorial one. I think we can get through all three of these, or all four of these, actually. If we kind of if we kind of go lightning round status here, let's do lightning round. And this is like these are some more feel good stories on down ballot watch tonight. So I I, I thought uh, after all the <laughs> we have a few downers there, so I wanted to make sure we had some up and you found some great clips. So let's just let's roll. As pandemic uh, restrictions are really easing a lot, AIDS activists are calling on health officials to shift focus now back to HIV and AIDS. This year marks 35 years since the first panels of the AIDS Memorial Quilt were created at the height of the AIDS pandemic. Cronforce Charles Clifford was at an event about the quilt today. He has this report. The AIDS Memorial Quilt consists of 50,000 panels like these. There are 110,000 names on all of the panels. The whole thing weighs roughly 54 tons and it continues to grow, unfortunately. It hasn't been displayed publicly for about 10 years, but on Tuesday, the organizers at the National AIDS Memorial say that the quilt will be brought out and placed in San Francisco and Golden Gate Park at the Robin Williams Meadow uh, near the AIDS Memorial Grove on June 11th and 12th. Organizers said they want to display the quilt to remind everyone that the AIDS pandemic is still happening, that people are still dying from this disease, and it's important to remember them. There are too many names here, and there are too many names that aren't here, but we are committed as an organization and as a community to ensure that we remember the lives. Because, and when you look at these panels, they tell the story of a life lost, but they also showcase the love that enveloped that life. Now, organizers today also put out a call for volunteers to help move the quilt, help set it up. It takes a lot of manpower to move 54 tons of material. They're also asking that if there's anyone out there who wants to add a name or a panel to the quilt, you can reach them through their website, which is aidsmemorial.org. That's good. It'd be nice to see the the quilt. I haven't, I saw it once in my life, so. Is it so big at this point that they really can't display the whole thing in one space? I imagine they have to like, I mean, I, I don't know. Are you aware of how many panels they have? So 54 tons sounds like a lot of fabric. Yeah, it's a, it's it's big. I don't know how they do it. I honestly, yeah, I don't know how they do it. Looks like bollards. 
um, and maybe zip ties, who knows, but, uh, yeah, I, I would, I have not uh, had the pleasure, so I would definitely like to check this out. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we all can. Um, well, that's good to hear. Um, so hope something happening a little down about a little closer to home, um, in this, uh, a little closer to home category, uh, San Jose is looking to, uh, make things a little more palatable for bike commuters. Um, and that means cleaning up the trails, but cleaning up the trails has some, you know, dog whistly kind of connotations to it, given our current uh, housing situation. So uh, let's see what's going on. San Jose bike paths are getting a facelift. It comes just as more and more workers are considering commuting by bike as a way to beat those high gas prices. KPIX 5's Ramirez got his bike for a got on his bike for a closer look at what's happening. Well, San Jose admits that it does have work to do when it comes to improving bike lanes, but they say now it's more important than ever. Bike riding to work on a flat and smooth path. On a perfect spring day, this kind of commute is hard to beat. Just ask Michael. I live downtown San Jose. I work uh, like eight miles north, and it's beautiful. This spring, the city is taking action to make the rides even better. The paved trails have been restriped for safety purposes and vegetation is being cut back. With gas prices soaring, the city wants to remind drivers that its network of bike paths can be a commute alternative. But it's also something people really need nowadays, that affordable, reliable, dependable way of getting around that doesn't have the high gas prices associated with it. But there is no quick fix for some of the biggest obstacles riders face. Unhoused people's tents and property sometimes blocking the paths. The trails run through the city center on the banks of the get around that. River or Coyote Creek, yeah. where the unhoused population grew into the hundreds during the pandemic. You know, excuse me. Today, I followed yeah. paths hey. that suddenly dead. Sorry, sorry to be in your space here. Ah, I don't apologize. It's your space too. Be nice as you ride by. Fine. For hey. And that they're not infringing on on others. Riders we spoke to say they haven't encountered problems with the people. I went through there, came back. Nobody hassled me. But the debris and broken glass on the trails can cause flat tires. Yeah, it's an adventure. Several flats just driving the Guadalupe Trail. As new trails open and as they become more popular. <laughs> San Jose's a bicycle town. <laughs> Thanks. The city plans to add even she more. She seemed great. I love her. Police have added Backing. bike patrols to certain trails to give trail users an added sense of security. In San Jose, Len Ramirez, KPIX5. So yeah, it's good to improve the trails and put all the stuff down. They could have just left the other part of that shit out, right? They could have just not like leaned into that part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what we all know, right? But uh, and at the end of the day, it's uh, <laughs> not an easy solution for that either. But yeah, um, good to see people. Good to see the tech browse community. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can get more of that. Get more of them off the road. Um, who knows? Eventually, we'll all be biking everywhere. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I still need to get a bike producer, Dave. You do. So we can go we can go bike together sometime. Yeah. And Just for, for fun and shit. Someone in chat was saying they didn't talk to anybody who really felt unsafe, so Yeah, that's that's true, actually. So maybe that's because they cut back the vegetation and uh and restriped and then they have police, you know, bike patrols out there to give a sense of security. Who knows? Um so our, our next story is about Caltrain. Caltrain is mile for mile the most expensive public transit in the United States. And uh, they uh, just cut the fees in half. 
So it'll probably still be top 10, but that's good that they're cutting the fees in half for Caltrain. It should make it a, a rational amount of money for people to get around the peninsula. Here's a local news hit on that. For people trying to make it. it in the Bay, meantime, new hope for a let up in those skyrocketing gas prices. But it's not just drivers who've been feeling this pain. Starting this morning, some relief for rail commuters as well. Today in the Bay's Bob Riddell joins us live in Palo Alto this morning with a look at what kind of relief we're talking about for everybody here, Bob. Well, for people who take Caltrain, we're here at the Palo Alto station. It's a major discount for the month of April, which starts today. Starting today and running through this month, uh, people who ride Caltrain will get discounted fares of 50%. Caltrain is doing this to uh, reward its loyal riders, it says. And of course, we know to try to lure new people to its rail service. This discount, by the way, does not apply to people who use GoPass. Incidentally, regular train service resumes Monday for Caltrain. You might recall that they had to reduce service earlier last month. This was to accommodate electrification signal work in San Mateo and Burlingame. With regards to people who will be getting into your car this morning, you're probably wondering, well, when is the the price of gas going to drop? Some experts predict a drop of 20 cents per gallon in the coming weeks. This as a result of yesterday's announcement that the United States will tap into the strategic petroleum reserves. But even with that price decrease, you can see that gas is still expensive and going to be. You take a look at this map of the nine counties in the Bay Area that we put together for you. According to the overnight numbers, we are averaging anywhere from around 580 to around $6 for a gallon of gas. So even with that 20 cent drop, you're still looking at well over $5 per gallon. Yesterday, President Biden said our government would release a record 1 million barrels of oil a day from U.S. reserves over the next six months. Uh, prices at the pump had been rising as more people returned to work uh, during and after the pandemic, and then the prices skyrocketed after Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. So how significant is the release of what will turn out to be around 180 million barrels of oil? Well, U.S. drivers use more than 7 billion barrels of oil a year, so this release represents about 5% increase in supply. Theoretically, stations could be getting lower prices as early as tonight, but most of them only fill their tanks every three to five days. So it will take probably until the weekend to start seeing more downdrafts at the pump nationally. How long will it last? Well, it could last maybe several weeks and prices may, if we're lucky, stay below $4 for portions of the summer. But it's a little too early to call because the situation remains very volatile and could change. The Today Show will have a full report on the impact the release of oil will have on gas prices. That was like a two-for-one story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Caltrain should just have that fare cut in half. It's so expensive to take Caltrain. It's like unreasonably expensive. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, although I will, will point out um, Caltrain is the only, I think it's one of the few fare, full fare recovery uh services in the bay area um so they do they do make their money back they do have um high ridership um but i yeah i think we've talked about this before public transportation should be public transportation make it free and people i think more people would take it if it didn't cost you right if it didn't cost me whatever it is 25 bucks now round trip to san francisco you know once um i'd take it more often um and i don't think there's any sort of like commuter pass that like gives you a discount um no, in fact, to, well, to the extent that there is one in that story, they said that those people aren't getting a discount. And it's like, that's great. Those are the people who ride it the most. Fucking assholes. Right. 
that would be useful. I mean, some some businesses, you know, they do, um, you know, uh, if they're smart and they have their offices along, you know, the the rail lines and the and the commuter lines, they you know bypasses for their employees. They pay them to take the the, the train because um, it honestly makes things more efficient. It makes things you know that you can be assured they're going to be on time, right? Um, and it probably makes their uh, allow the employee to do some more work, maybe on the train too. So. Uh, all sorts of positives around that. Well, we have reached another thing. That was a great lighting round for Down Ballot Watch. Um, as we like to focus on another thing, normally we, we have an a, a animal interest story. Um, for those of you who haven't been following, there were some falcons nesting up at the top of the tower, Sather Tower at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, one of them recently passed away, and his lady friend decided she had to move on um, if she wanted her eggs fertilized this season. So uh, this is the story about mating of falcons. Amid a bustling UC Berkeley campus Friday is a single bouquet of flowers at the bottom of the towering Campanile, as many here mourn the loss of one of the university's beloved peregrine falcons, Grinnell. Oh, it makes me want to cry even now. I'm just like really shocked, especially how like I was studying it like last year. I've seen the falcons uh, for years and I, I was really sad to hear about Grinnell passing. A group that monitors the birds says Grinnell was chasing off a female intruder and likely got too low when he was hit by a car. His death got many wondering what's next for his long-term partner Annie and their eggs. How is Annie doing? She probably should start using Tinder uh, for finding her next steps. <laughs> Well, it seems Annie won't be needing Tinder. About a day and a half later, she's apparently already moved on, spending Friday morning with another male. We've seen courtship behaviors in the nest box. Um, we've seen them copulate more than once, and um, he has also shown interest in trying to incubate. Lynn Schofield is an educator with Cal Falcons, a group that's been following the Peregrine Falcon couple for years now. She says Annie's actions are not normal. Uh, no, it, it is not. Um, so this is kind of a unique situation because we actually recognize this male. This is a male that's been around that we've seen on and off for about a month. And according to people who follow the moment. cam, this male falcon may very well be the new leading man in Annie's life. She took off and circled the Campanile and uh, left the new male with the egg, so she must trust the new male. And then he's been around all day, back and forth. It's heartbreak part two for many still mourning Grinnell's sudden death. That's just terrible. I can't believe her. <laughs> yeah, it's just so sad. Well, well, that's the dating world these days, I suppose. <laughs> There's a bunch of drama, I guess, there. And, uh, well, I guess the other falcon must be spinning in his grave right now or upset, so, you know. <laughs> While shocking, scientists say this new development actually brings them hope that Annie and her chicks will be okay. The story's still going, and we're hopeful that maybe Annie will still be able to raise chicks this year. At UC Berkeley, Audrey Assistio, NBC Bay Area News. It's a bird. Aww. It's a yes. bird. It, it just does what it does. I don't know. Moving on. Just moving on. You know, you got you to get the eggs uh, ready. You got to continue. Progeny. I wonder if that, I wonder if that other bird threw the, if the new bird threw the old bird like into a car. <laughs> I love it. The, the, you know, lurking around. We've seen him lurking around and waiting for his moment. And then he got it right. Like, you know, if, if this was one of those investigative stories, he'd be a prime suspect. 
um, one of them, te- one of them cop TV shows. So uh, we'll we'll keep we'll keep an eye out. Maybe more to come on this one. There could be some sort of uh, weird Shakespearean shit happening here with the Falcons at Berkeley. Um. Well, thank you once again, producer Dave. Do you want to read us out tonight? Yep. Everybody, thanks for listening to Down Ballot. I almost said Local Love. Local Love's live right after Down Ballot. So check out twitch.tv slash Media every night because we got shit every night. Um, go to echoplexmedia.com and click the support tab to find ways to support this project. And uh, that's it. Thanks for joining me again this week, The Councilman. Of course. Peace out, everybody. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone Just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice For the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car Just to get to where they are Here at the local scene Is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette And I hold my drink I look at all my friends They're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage Waiting for FTV Where are those guys Who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand Ready to blaze for me About five minutes later We're all singing We let get the fuck up on and like the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one what? And another one Woo! Now just when the magic starts kicking in Now here we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight. It's down and dirty in five, so we're headed outside. To spark up another joint now. Who's got my light? A stoner E, of course. Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the US economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' me Rockin' the rollie, all the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppin' We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We want us to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band.
Andy.